Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Roost Podcast. As always, I am Carter Spires, here with my co-host Matthew Bartlett, the director and managing editor of The Roost, your premier source for Rice Sports news and analysis. The Roost Podcast is a part of the Dave Campbell's Texas Football Republic of Football Podcast Network. Okay, smoother that time. You nailed for, it. Yeah, there we go. Uh, that was... Fa- we're, we're, wait, we're past mid-season form, and it's June. Oh, yeah. That's the... Um, you are, at least. <laughs> that's the... Uh, you you know, you, you've know spent a couple times bumbling through the, the play and run-throughs, and then you, 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 know, you, you bust it out there, and uh, that for that one perfect rep, it just goes like, oh, oh, yeah, we can do this. We... Uh, we're going to get somebody with this one. So that was good. We'll, 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 we'll keep, we'll keep repping it. You know, you don't know. Uh, it's not practice makes perfect. It's, it's, it's you practice. So you can't mess up. There you go. There's a Nick Sabanism in there. It's, it, is, it is directly a Nick Sabanism. Yeah. Probably from a book. He, he probably <laughs> is in one of his books. I'm sure he has. I haven't read a Nick Saban book yet, but um, I'm sure there, we won't talk Alabama football too much this time. I think this might be our only Alabama reference. That's a yeah. rarity for us. Yeah. Um, but we will get there. We are, w- what, moving on. We tried to do math before this started. This is our third uh, AAC slash the American. I, I still don't know what to call it. Um, new I, I conference. Think the, I think the official, we just, we decided the official uh, uh, official style guide says the American. But it, it does feel awkward. Like, y- you want to... You want to go with that rhythm, your your SEC, your ACC, like it. I don't know, like AAC, just sort of. It's just different enough from ACC that it like, you know, the American just feels awkward. I don't know. Yeah, we're gonna rebrand. We'll work on it. <laughs> um, speaking of rebranding, I have to be honest. As we were preparing our notes to kind of go through this, I went and I pulled up the Home Field Apparel website. Because first off the top, we're going to talk about our fantastic partner, Homefield Apparel, uh, and their wonderful shirts. But I just clicked on their website to see what was up there. And we're not talking about Tulane today, but they have a like baby blue Tulane green wave t-shirt. Oh, and I haven't yet I haven't yet bought a home field shirt for a school that I have no affiliation with whatsoever. I mean, the angry but, uh, wave, and we're, you know, we don't even have a, this is not even the Tulane podcast, so we're not even pandering here, but the angry wave is maybe my favorite logo slash mascot in all of college sports from an objective perspective. Um, and that, that just like, and that uh, the blue is, is, it's and so there, gorgeous. get this. There are notes. So go go to homefieldapparel.com, okay? Go click on the Tulane page or the Rice page or any page and go read the notes. I, I have learned right now in 1963, Tulane's athletics director decided it was to change mascots, and he hired somebody. And that somebody, Angela Specific's Arthur Evans, came up with Tulane's Green Wave logo in 1963. They just decided to invent a new mascot. So there we go. Use this is the, the code podcast. Roost. Yeah, we're always looking for ways to get educated. So you can go on Homefield's website, learn something in the process, use the code Roost, and get 15% off your first order. Yeah. You get smarter, you get comfier, and you get more football year. Yeah. Or fun. 
Or both. I mean, Father's Day is coming up. You know, get something for dad. Get him, you know, that great uh, logo from when he was in school at, uh, you know, insert college that he went to, which they probably have. They have so many logos for so many different colleges. Or get him something. Probably from the era that your dad was at school there. Yeah. It's possible. So, you know, get him something from from when he was in school. Or get him a Tulane Green Wave t-shirt. It doesn't (laughs) matter that he didn't go to Tulane. He like your dad has good taste. He's going to appreciate that green wave shirt just as much as we do. This is wonderful. I might <laughs> there's there's like at least a 20% chance that I'm buying my own father a two-leg green wave t-shirt for Father's Day. I I honestly think my dad would like one. I, I'm not even joking on this one. And I will see him right around around then. So it might be it might be time to pull the trigger. We'll think about it. You should do it. Two thousand twelve. I think I was right. Yeah, it was literally they played the last year they were both in CUSA and haven't played since, oddly enough. And in three, two, one. All right. And we are here now talking uh SMU with uh Joe Hoyt of the Dallas News. How's it going, man? It's good, it's good. Thank you both for having me on. Uh, you know, as we were catching up pre-pod before it started, this is uh, another new uh, first for us because we had our Rolodex of everybody that we knew in the CUSA world. And now that we are, I guess, what, three or four weeks away from being in the American world or AAC or however we want to call it, we have to make new friends. Uh, and you are highly <laughs> recommended. So... uh we're glad to have the chance to catch up with you, and uh, hopefully you can unpack everything you know and we need to know about SMU, other than there was a Trans Am once. I think that's that's what some people remember about <laughs> SMU. Yeah, maybe maybe gold, you know, I don't know, copper, <laughs> something, something of, that, uh, of that regard, yeah. Um, no, but it's good. It's always good to meet new friends then. <laughs> and so give us kind of the... Uh, the bird's eye view as we get rolling. What's it like being an SMU fan right now from, I guess y'all are midway through, uh, I guess not a new coach, but a a coaching transition, kind of getting things up and running. You got a new conference uh, forming around you. Uh, There's a lot of things going on. What's it like at, at ground zero? Yeah, I think SMU fans are kind of caught in this, this kind of window of like, hey, you know, we're really excited for the schedule we have now. Um, we really like this team. We like our chances a lot. But I think a lot of SME fans are really wrapped up in realignment and kind of the lingering idea of, hey, you know, how long will we have this schedule? How long will we in the same group with these new American friends, um, you know, do you kind of, so to speak. Um, so I think it's kind of a lot of high expectations for this coming season, but also kind of a little bit of side eye on, hey, you know, What's going on with the ACC grant of rights? And, you know, is the Pac-12 going to be on Apple or Amazon? So it's it's kind of an interesting time to be an SMU fan for sure. But I think at the core of it in football terms, I think they're really excited about the potential they have in this new American Athletic Conference. I know the coach speak says, you know, we're focused on the next opponent. We're not thinking about <laughs> what we can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but if you had to kind of couch that from a fan perspective, what percentage – of, of, of attention is being focused on the season that's about to happen in like a couple months and what percent is focused on everything else and what could be. 
No, that's a fantastic question. And I think, honestly, if you're an SMU fan, I think history tells you that you should be focused on the current because realignment hasn't gone your way, um, ultimately, in years past. Um, you know, I mean, you just had to watch Houston and Central Florida and Cincinnati. I mean, Cincinnati and Central Florida are probably teams that if you would have told SMU fans 10 years ago they would get in the Big 12 before they did, they'd probably laugh and be like, ha, 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 you know, that's, <laughs> that's, that's not going to happen. But, you know, here we are. So I think SMU fans, at least my advice for SMU fans, is to appreciate, you know, the week in and week out of this coming season because I think this team has got a lot of depth. It's very talented. There's a lot of transfer additions. Um, and I think they have a really good shot in this new American Athletic Conference to kind of do what Tulane did last year. I mean, if you saw it, I mean, Tulane, you know, dominated in the American and then went to play USC and did a really good job and obviously kind of went home with the New Year's Six Bowl win, which is uh, can be program changing in, in these times. It's still wild to me that we're talking about the Tulane format as being <laughs> something <laughs> – like and it's it's interesting because as we kind of go around and make these you know reintroductions with folks a, a lot of you know what carter have talked about is this kind of feels like uh, a reincarnation of usa uh, what are we at now carter 2.0 3.0 yeah it's it's weird and and they are regular <laughs> listeners for wolf almost tired of me saying this by this point but it's it's weird for me especially now coming in because i i graduated from rice in 2013 so the the American we're in now is half the teams I've gotten used to Rice playing over the last three, four years as I've, you know, kind of focused on them doing the podcast and all that. But also the teams that they regularly played in CUSA when I was in school. So it's sort of a like we're Conference USA 2.0 slash 4.0 at this point. Um, I have this I have a nice, you know, mental uh, mental catalog of. uh you know, in case I need to trash talk, it's like, how many points did we beat you by in the 2008 season? Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> and uh, SMU was the first game of that season. It was a Friday night, I remember, because I saw my sister on the ESPN broadcast uh, in the stands, and it was 56 to 27. I also remember that they had a shot on the sidelines of a guy playing for SMU at the time whose last name was McJunkin, which is a fantastic <laughs> football player name. So, um, <laughs> It's weird to kind of, and I, I know there are a lot of Rice fans that are sort of in a similar boat to now be kind of in this new conference where it feels like a step up, but it also feels like kind of going back to our roots. And because um, one one thing we've talked about a lot is that one thing that was unsatisfying about the most recent iteration of COSA is it just felt sort of like a grab bag. And there weren't a lot of teams that had these kind of history with each other and not not enough hatred, really. Mm-hmm. And I look now and there, these teams like, oh, here's Tulane, here's SMU, like, here's Memphis, here are these teams that I am used to Rice, like, having something with. So it's an interesting kind of mix of the old and new. I, I, I think that's interesting, and I'm, I think it's a really good point. It's kind of kind of goes and talks with this realignment idea we're talking about, is that everyone's always kind of chasing to get that next step and to, you know, to kind of grow up in conference. But in reality, you know, it's it's kind of hard. There's a reason why it's power five, right? It's, it's hard to get into. It's hard to make that jump and kind of everyone else is kind of left in the margins and figuring out exactly what they're going to be. Um, and kind of to your point, it's funny how all of a sudden SMU and Rice found each other again. We're, <laughs> all, know, and, we're all kind of crabs in the same bucket right now. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, and, and then I know you mentioned, and this has been a, a longstanding rivalry, I mean, even pre-American, Houston in particular and SMU, uh, they go way back. Rice, obviously, and, Rice and SMU obviously have some history. Um, but one of the things that I think we have kind of appreciated with the move to the AAC is there's a lot of Texas flavor, basically bringing all of CUSA Texas except for UTEP, which is Texas adjacent, if we're honest. Um, <laughs> and we get SMU. I mean, it's okay. They they know it. it. Different kind of taco, but it's still good. Uh, <laughs> but of the incoming, I know you talked about what could be for SMU, but but what's kind of the view of the the newcomers? Uh, you know, rice in that bucket, and then the league as a whole, um, kind of big picture of how they kind of feel where they fit in, and and what they kind of feel about the new additions. Yeah, I think, you know, it's funny because I think if you take a fan perspective versus like more of an objective perspective i think they're different um those are very different things all the time yes yeah especially (laughs) with especially in kind of this lens um i don't think smu fans are super thrilled to be honest um about the conference structure um i think that you know i think a school like utsa excites them i think a school like rice you know i mean because it brings that houston flavor obviously there's history I mean, you know, Carter can literally remember exactly what the score was in 2008. So, you know, there's there's that kind of idea. Um, so, I mean, that there's something there. But, you know, like a school like Charlotte, for example, you know, that I, I don't know if that's going to excite SMU fans when they see that on the schedule. Um, you know, UNT, to be you know, fair, that SMU one, fans that one doesn't UNT. excite us either. Uh. <laughs> see, there you go. <laughs> um, you know, SMU fans kind of look at UNT a little bit. Um, as the little brother in DFW a little bit. So there's kind of, hey, we were already playing you, um, you know, last year, and now it's got to be a conference thing. Um, so I, I don't know if excitement would be the right word, um, <laughs> to be honest, but I think I think SMU fans see also that there is an opportunity in this conference. Um, you know, UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston were all three teams that had really done well, um, you know, it kind of carried that flag a little bit for the group of five level you know, clearly, um, and had always been a really kind of tough out for him. I mean, you know, SMU had kind of struggled, um, you know, against Cincinnati, for example, um, nearly being this past year, but uh, it that's been a tough hill to climb for them. So I think that with this new American Athletic Conference schedule, they see a chance to get to a New Year's Six Bowl, to, as we said, to kind of do the, the two-lane method, you know, no matter how fresh that kind of uh, saying may be. Which I think is interesting because going back and just looking at the last couple of years in Conference USA, it really felt like any year, like anybody could win it because the talent differential was so small. I mean, you make the jump up from maybe, you know, UTEP, FIU at the bottom uh, for forever to up to whoever is at the top in any given year. I mean, UAB went from program shutting down to winning you know, three West titles to two conference crowns. Uh, so there really wasn't ever a a real top dog. There was a year or two where you're like, we think these guys are going to be good, but maybe, maybe not. Then Lane Kiffin shows up weird, but I think you couched it really interesting for 2023, 23 for the American because, and I've gotten this perspective too, uh, from SMU fans and just folks in media that there is a, a sense in one degree that this conference is wide open, that there is no established pecking order. Anybody can go take it. But, there's also a sense of everyone has kind of preconceived where they think they belong in the mm-hmm. circle. And I think this year we're going to learn a lot because 
you think of some of the maybe the bigger established brands left in the American, I think of like Memphis uh, being one, SMU, those two probably being at the top, uh, you know, ECU from time to time, some of those names that have been around for a while, their perception of where they should be versus, especially in this transfer portal world, uh, what the rosters and, and coaching will get them to. I think it makes for a much more interesting season than maybe we would have originally expected. Does that sound no, fair? Yeah, no, I think that's a great, great point too. And I, I think this kind of goes back to the idea with, with SMU fans about this new schedule is like, hey, like for example, I'm going to predict SMU to make the American Athletic Conference title game when I have my official prediction comes out. I think that they have a lot of depth. I think a lot of talent. I think Preston Stone is going to be fantastic. Um, in this offense, and I think that they've got a real shot to go play in a New Year's Six Bowl. That'll be my prediction. But to your, everyone's point, who had Tulane doing that last year? I, I think there's an element of you can project as much as you want, but ultimately you've got to go out and do it. And I think that that's going to be something week in and week out that whoever ends up being the top dog in this conference is going to have to combat because, you know, I mean, you can go into Rice and 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 slip up you can you can go into charlotte and slip up you can welcome ecu and slip up who, who knows memphis may end up running the table you, you just never know you got to go out and do it and i think that's something to your point about uab comes out and does extremely well after almost being you know shut down so it'll be interesting and i think that's something that american athletic conference fans can look forward to is hey no matter what the perception is you still got to go out and do it and so you mentioned Preston Stone. I know quarterback, as Rice fans who Rice has started, well, I think give this right, more quarterbacks than any other FBS institution since 2017. So so I know one quarterback can mean a lot. Um, <laughs> SMU is changing at quarterback. They got Preston Stone in. Uh, kind of orient us around, I guess we'll start with the offense, why he makes sense and how this can be a seamless transition because is Tanner Mordecai threw for one million yards before <laughs> him or something like that. I felt every time I turned it on, he had a 400-yard game. Yeah, I think, uh, well, I think he had a million in the Houston game alone last year. Yeah, um, that sounds about right. Yeah, so, um, no, yeah, Tanner Mordecai, um, now at Wisconsin, which, I think is going to be a great opportunity for him to kind of showcase his arm talent. If he does well, you know, we'll see what possible draft uh, implications come there. I think he's pretty good. And obviously he's pretty good because I think he beat out Preston Stone each of the last two years. And I think Preston, I mean, he's an all-American recruit, um, four-year starter at Parish Episcopal here in uh, Dallas, um, you know, multiple state championships. And he's a guy, if you kind of look at just the Tulsa game, which he kind of so Tanner Mordecai had a concussion against Cincinnati. Preston came into that, and then he got his first career start against Tulsa this past season. First play, 75-yard touchdown to Rasheed Rice, which was the first play that Rasheed Rice had on his ESPN um, draft highlight when he got picked this year in, um, by the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, Preston showcased a lot in just one half of football, and then he broke his collarbone. He was out for the rest of the season. I think there's a lot to be excited about Preston Stone, but specifically because of the weapons around him. I think they added a lot on the offensive line via the transfer portal. Um, and they added two running backs via the transfer portal, you know, in Jalen Knighton. Um, I think from Miami that he's going to be very electric for them. And then I think the receiver-wise, um, they have Jordan Curley, um, who is primed to step into wide receiver one. Um, they have R.J. Maryland at tight end, who I think was really kind of under-recruited ultimately. 
but really, hey, he had six touchdowns as a true freshman last season. Long story short, you kind of go around the weapons, and they've really got a lot of them, and they got a lot of depth there too. And I think if Preston can be good this season, and I think he would be, their offense should be humming under Rhett Lashley. Yeah, you mentioned you mentioned Rhett Lashley, which I I think I to make an, a connection that some SMU fans might not appreciate. Uh, TCU head coach Sonny Dykes did show that if you bring in the right one, two, three, right couple transfer pieces, you can keep clicking. And you listed a bunch of names, a bunch of guys who had been there and had production uh, at SMU, but you also listed a bunch of new guys. So um, what what level of reasonability? And this is something I'm still figuring out, too, how much you can project on a guy that you've never seen play in, in the jersey of the team you cover. Uh, mm-hmm. But but how much of that feels like projection, like it's going to be good if and how much of it is like just adding up like you don't even have to take a, you know, a, a blue tinted glass look at this. It's just like these are just good dudes. No, and you make a great point. And this is why ultimately I think SMU should be the favorite in the American this year is because if you look at how the transfer portal operates for power five schools, it's a lot of, hey, let's grab that group of five guy that played well. And then he comes up. Well, for a lot of group of five schools, it's, hey, let's get that power five guy that never played but was a four-star, five-star recruit, and we'll bring him down here and give him an opportunity to play. SMU, meanwhile, kind of towed the middle of this where they they added some guys from the power five level that didn't play, but they also added guys that played a lot. And they, you know, I mean, for example, um, you know, Jonathan McGill was a four-year starter at Stanford. He's a cop guy. Next, you know, he's going to come to SMU this year. And he's going to lead their defensive backfield, which was probably the weakest point of their team last year was their secondary. And they went out and added five guys, um, five transfers that probably total around, you know, 50 games started in their career. So long story short, they added guys who have actually already played elsewhere. Of course, there's the, you know, how will they actually play in this system or, you know, adjusting to a new defense or a new offense on tape at different levels of high competition. And I think, for example, they just recently added Jordan Hudson from TCU, speaking of Sonny Dykes and Kyron Chambers, but more specifically Hudson, who was a five-star wide receiver, comes to SMU now um, after playing his true freshman season. And, you know, I think that's something SMU fans are really excited about specifically is how he will adapt and how quickly that can happen. Yeah, and it's interesting. You mentioned some guys on defense, um, one transfer, but um, – as far as the, I, I think defense in general tends to be the side of the ball that's less sticky from year to year. Um, it's really hard to make a you know bottom tier offense a great tier offense um, from season to season. Uh, that kind of is, is in the similar band. Uh, but defense is one that if you can kind of put the pieces together, um, maybe get a couple more bounces your way and on the turnover side, uh, things turn around. Um, so in and obviously teams want to be great on both sides of the ball. Um, but if the offense is clicking, like, you know, folks up in Dallas would like it to be, how good does the defense actually have to be for SMU to be that team that they want to be and to be competing near the top of the conference? Yeah, I think, I think with Rhett Lashley, their offense is probably always going to be their, you know, calling card is going to be their, the team, the thing that kind of gets them going. I mean, they want to go fast. They want to score a lot. Um, you know, that's kind of what they do. Um, but I think defensively, and I think it's something to watch this year, is 
you know, Scott Simons, while he was at Liberty, was a very, you know, they, they got after the pass. They got after the quarterback. Their pass rush was good. Um, you know, they, they were really stout defense at Liberty under Simons and kind of everywhere he's gone, they've been good. Last year, SMU's defense kind of struggled. But I think one of the prevailing ideas was, well, Simons didn't really have the pieces that he wanted to have. Well, this year, there's really no excuse to that because they got, you know, so many guys from the transfer. Like I said, they they literally redid their entire secondary. They got Ahmad Walker, who's going to be – who's a standout linebacker at Liberty. He transfers in. Already a lot of experience. Um, they got two defensive linemen from Miami that are going to make them a lot bigger on the defensive line in Jordan Miller and Elijah Roberts. Um, so it'll be interesting to see – specifically on defense, how what kind of step they take. And I think that could be ultimately the biggest factor in why they take a jump this year in the American. Yeah, but I mean, you just I just keep hearing you go down that list. If you can add, I mean, because realistically, we're looking at it. Um, and granted, we're still getting kind of our tabs on who is who and everybody in the AAC. Uh, but you start going through both sides of the ball. If you can throw in three or four, you know, five, you bring in second team, all conference guys. Um, starts to be the point where maybe I'm drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit, but there is kind of an expectation that if you just out-talent everybody and you score points, it's not that simple, is it? But it it kind of feels like that's the formula for SMU this year. <laughs> Get all the pieces. <laughs> or they yeah, because the I think, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think you're, you're getting to the point too, to be honest. I think SMU believes it's a team that recruits at a power five level. And, but they, play in a group of five schedule and i think that's why expectations are going to be extremely high for them this year ultimately all right so we and we'll we'll play this out a little bit um and we've talked about the the alignment the, the realignment piece um but if we kind of walk this out and we and we put the i don't know smu to the pac-12 or the big east or whatever aside <laughs> um yeah big east football bring it back um, and we kind of put it, what is, what is the vision for, you know, what this program can be under Rhett Lashley? Cause I know that's the part we haven't talked about a lot yet, because obviously I, I was told before I did this to mention Sonny Dykes as many times as I possibly could. <laughs> um, but every coach kind of has his own no, flavor. No leftover bitterness there, right? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> But but especially under Rhett Lashley, we know his offense, and we've kind of talked about that. Um, but just building an identity for what SMU is, irrespective of conference or whatever that looks like, what what does the Rhett Lashley stamp look like, uh, and how does you know how does he kind of envision this team looking in that next you know what we'll say two to three year window? Yeah, I think in I think it's important to bring up Sunny Dice because I think Sunny lay down the template here at SMU and that's, Hey, let's use the transfer portal and let's be the bounce back place for guys from Dallas that went to, you know, went to Wisconsin, went to Ohio state, went to Florida, went to Miami, that, that left home wasn't exactly what they were hoping for. And they want to come back home. Let's give them playing time. Let's give them, um, you know, an opportunity to, you know, be close to home. And then, you know, I think another factor that would, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention is that NIL, I think works in SMU's favor. Um, I think that there is a pretty decent amount of money uh, among SMU. I know I'm not breaking, uh, breaking news there or, uh, you know, having a hot take with that. 
So uh, I, I think those factors, that's kind of what Sonny Dykes, even before NIL was a thing, really wanted to play into. And I think you saw what that could do at a Power 5 level this year when he went to TCU. And obviously we know how well they did and went to the national championship. And I think Rhett Lashley is trying to continue the same thing. They want to be Dallas's team. They want to stay here. And for players that did leave, it says, hey, come home. I mean, I know that they recruit they recruit some of Dallas's talent out of high school, and it's not, hey, come here out of high school. It says, hey, when you go to Alabama, and if it doesn't work out, you come home. Um, I mean, they try to keep that relationship through, you know, through the, that initial college process. So I think that's kind of Red Lashley's vision as well. You know, and I think Sonny, I think ultimately there was some, I think Sonny thought that he could continue doing that at SMU. And if they got into a power five level that it could take off. And I think TCU offered him that ability to get to a power five level immediately instead of waiting for that. But I don't think for Sonny to ultimately leave Dallas, I think he really liked it. And, and you hit on something that I think is interesting. And, and I think you could kind of help me walk this out a little bit because I know that for folks that follow recruiting, you kind of look at the stars and, and, you know, you try and get the big names and you hope your team gets the the highest, you know, average or whatever they put it together. Um, but especially in um, the new world with the portal. And I was uh, talking with with somebody that has uh, familiarity um, with uh, an AAC uh, recruiting department uh, last summer. And I asked him and I said, hey, what percentage of the kids in your class that you brought in that were transfers um, had a relationship before they entered the portal with somebody on your staff? And he went down the list and of the, you know, more than a dozen guys, he said there was one that didn't one guy yeah. that w- didn't have a relationship of some sort with somebody on the staff already. Um, have you kind of seen and and I know there's some tra- changeover with from from Lashley uh, from Dykes to Lashley. Um, but is that kind of really where SMU has differentiated themselves Um from the rest of the American, the fact that they know all these guys who are leaving already. Is this a, a pre-recruiting? Have we, have we invented a new way of doing things? For sure. And I mean, I think it's honestly something Rice could replicate is, I mean, Houston, Houston itself, pretty, pretty talented. Right. And it's, Hey, I mean, go recruit. Like for example, Colin, Colin Simmons is, you know, number one edge rusher in the country, right. He's in Duncanville, just South of Dallas, um, five-star recruit. I think he's probably the third overall ranked player on on three, for example. Um, SMU recruited him. You know what I mean? They they offered him. They had him on campus. Um, they they recruited him. And ultimately, are they trying to get Colin Simmons out of high school? No, because they um, they know that, hey, if, if they recruit now and they keep their relationship, next thing you know, three years from now, it could work out for them. And I, 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 to your point, it is a – recruiting is no longer hey high school you go someplace and you're done right it's hey let me go to this first stop and if i want to stay here cool if not i can leave and you know i can go somewhere where i have familiarity and has some other pros to it i mean i you know i think for smu for example too like they can tout hey and rice could do this too like hey we have a great graduate program (laughs) like like hey you know maybe if you want to focus on the nfl might not be right at your you know footsteps why don't you come here get a really good graduate degree as well i mean and that's something that they can kind of tailor to as well. So it's interesting how recruiting has definitely shifted. Well, yeah. Well, how many times, uh, Matt, Matt, how many times has uh, Bloom recruited JT Daniels now? 
Well, he says he's been recruiting him since he was in, in the eighth grade. And JT Daniels is 38 years old at this point. <laughs> Still not as old as Brad Rosner. Sorry, Brad. <laughs> no, it's 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 just it's wild, man. And I've lost I don't know how many sixth or seventh year players we have now. I guess that will go go the way uh, or out of the way once we get through all of the COVID eligibility, allegedly. But but we're not quite there yet. So and I don't know if you you've started doing this, Joe, but every time uh, somebody commits or you know, kind of is in that process, I, I've just started asking guys. I'm like, so you're like a, a third year sophomore or something. So how many years of football do you have left? <laughs> don't tell me your class. Like, just give me a number. Yeah, no, it's always like, how many years of eligibility do you have left? And it's like, oh, you have four, even though you graduated the same year of high school. Me, 2012. Um you know that was that was that was that was Austin Ani this year for UNT. I was like, oh, dude, me and him graduated the same the same class, and you know here I am covering UNT SMU. So, yeah, there. I think uh, I think there's a guy. Well, there's the dude whose name I'm blanking on, uh, who played basketball at Harvard and Ohio State, and is now uh, taking another year. It is like graduated high school in 2016 or something like that. Uh, and there's like I think there's a guy playing tight end for Oregon who's on his like ninth year or something like that because he's had like five medical red shirts or something, which just it's, it just sounds tiring. I know. I uh, so I went to Oregon. So uh, that guy is Cam McCormick actually, and I when I was still at Oregon, oh, there you go. He was a recruit there, and that's when I was still in college. It was when he was committed to Oregon. <laughs> And now he's going to uh, – I think he's transferring to Miami, if I remember correctly. Long story short, yeah, he's got a, he's got another year, which is wild. <laughs> so how far away are we from – and we can, we can close the tangent after this – but how far away are we from somebody being like a, a position coach for somebody that they played with? Like I want to see a receiver that lined up next to somebody and then four years later is coaching that guy. Well, funny you mentioned that because um, – so Joey McGuire, head coach of Texas Tech, his son Garrett mm -hmm. McGuire um, is now a 23-year-old wide receiver coach for the University of Nebraska, like full-time. He's not like a, you know, a quality control guy. And like an actual on-the-field coach. Yeah, he's one of the on-field coaches. Um, you know, he got he coached with the Panthers with Matt Rule. Well, I mean, they got met with at Baylor. So long story short, he's followed him to Nebraska. Um, he's coaching a wide receiver in Nebraska, a transfer from Baylor named Josh Fleeks who was Garrett's wide receiver when Garrett was a backup quarterback at Cedar Hill. So he is literally coaching his high school team. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I love it. We could have a whole podcast about weird recruiting and transfer portal relationships. We'll it's save that one for a, diff a different time, maybe. I mean, um, you've you got guys like – if I am reading his bio right, like Brad Rosner, not to keep picking on Brad, graduated <laughs> high school in 2016. If you did like a, you did four years of undergrad, and then if you were in a, the type of program where like, so like in chemistry, I like a lot of PhD programs are usually like five to seven to eight years, depending on the degree. I know in chemistry a lot, because there's a lot of pressure to get results quickly and publish people tend to go in four years. So theoretically, if you were on the Brad Rosner plan and you got, say, a PhD in chemistry, which while playing college football, I don't know how that would work, but like you could 
you could get an undergrad degree and then you could be playing your final season, then graduating with a PhD the spring after that. <laughs> yeah. You're going to have to have doctor insert last name on people's uh, on people, the back of people's jerseys here soon. You know, we need to circle up with Bloomberg. If this is not a recruiting pitch, <laughs> come to Rice, be a doctor by the time you're done. <laughs> That's perfect. We'll get there. Oh man. Well, we, we do want to, and we close the close every podcast we do with this. Uh, we call it the lightning round. I think it's just kind of, it's a, a fun game and we will hold you to every result uh, that you say here and bring it back on a, a future podcast or engagement we have, but just kind mm-hmm. of uh, top of your, I've said this top of the tongue, top of the head, top of the tongue on the tip of your head, on the tip of your tongue, on the top of your head. Tip of, yeah, there you go. Tip of canoe. Um, but yeah, your, your first initial thoughts, um, some SMU, some AAC, some Mm -hmm. that hopefully make you think, and then hopefully get us a little bit smarter and, uh, make you sweat just, just a little bit. Perfect. Ready to roll? Let's do it. All right. We'll start it easy. Softball, uh, SMU 2023, uh, who's going to lead the team in touchdowns? Ooh, um, that's going to be Jalen Knighton running back. Um, catches a couple out of the backfield, runs in a couple. Um, you know, I'd probably put it around the double-digit mark, um, and he'll be a, he'll be a key player for SMU this uh, this year. Transfer from Miami, so okay. Now let's flip it over. Defense, uh, who's going to lead the team in sacks? Ooh, in sacks. So <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna actually make this a little bit of a longer answer. So SMU has this one edge rusher that on my first year covering the beat, he had two and a half, three sacks against Louisiana tech. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this guy is incredible. And he's been a little quiet, but I've been, I've been kind of banging the drum on this player for a long time. So it's uh, Nelson Paul is his name. And I think Nelson Paul is going to lead SMU in sacks this year and have a breakout season for the Mustangs. That's I've said that now each of the last two years. Um, but this is the year. <laughs> that makes me, this is a, a, just behind the curtain, a beat reporter secret. you like, you, you get favorites. You don't, you don't say it sometimes, but you kind of watch practice and you're like, this dude is just for real. And you get a guy or two that you're just going to stump for no matter what. Um, so I, I resonate with this. There's like it's, a, yeah, it kind of just happens. It's, it's, it's like, like I said, I, 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 I play defense. I love defense. And I just, he's got a really quick first step. And, and it's one of those things where like, he's been a little bit hurt, really hasn't had a chance to kind of put it all together and i think this year is going to be with with the you know increased defensive line depth they have i think i think nelson paul give me six to seven sacks that's my bold prediction for smu this year i'm there with you and i don't know if i've mentioned his name on the podcast but for rice my guy is like i don't know what string he is on the depth chart right now fourth fifth sixth (laughs) string running back um christian francisco I think is this is his what third year on the team, but a red shirt and a medical. I think he's got three years left. He's buried down there, but it's the same guy. I watch him and I'm just like his burst, how fast he hits the hole. He's just someday. I'm calling my shot now for whenever. When when we do uh, when we get UTSA on here, we need to talk to Jared and ask him what was the name of that third string tight end. He, oh, uh, it was Oscar Cardenas, the CUSA oh. first string tight end. Oh, there we go. <laughs> yeah. So we've had this before where people have called their shot on a back of the depth chart guy who becomes an all conference player. So 
I don't know. The words of this podcast might have magical powers. <laughs> the great Nelson Paul. I'm telling you, he's going to. And then your guy, Francisco, you know, it might take for him to become Dr. Francisco before he really, uh, really steps up. But hey, you know, there's that capability. So I'm in. I will run it by him when I see him this fall. Um, all right, man, we are we're through two questions. We, we can do this. Um, so uh, SMU again, uh, what player is not? gonna pre not going to be a preseason all conference selection on the team but he probably should be Ooh, um that's tough i'm gonna go Ooh, that's really tough i'm gonna go with um moochie dixon and the reason i say that is because we've been kind of that is a hell of a name yeah yeah former (laughs) texas transfer he Last year, it didn't have a lot of – it wasn't um, the quantity, but it was the quality of catches in his first year at SMU. Um, he's a guy I just – I we kind of tend to – everyone tends to kind of sleep on a little bit. And if if there's one guy who I think might not be a preseason all-conference but breaks out as their second-best receiver on a team that goes to the title game, it could be him. That's a good sound process. I like that. Um, all right, we'll open up a little bit. doesn't have to be SMU. can be anybody in the American um, – going to be playing this year. Who's one player in the AAC that you just love to watch? Oh, wow. Um, now you're making me sweat a little bit. Um, you know, can I say coach Regalado playing the guitar for you guys? Is that, is, <laughs> does that count? Um, um we love, we love to be pandered to. So absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, I, can I, I tell an aside while you and I stall for you to think a little bit? Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, about about Coach Regalado. So I was at and they have this uh, event called the Night of Flight uh, for Rice. It's a, a big fundraising event where they get a bunch of boosters and folks in the room, uh, raise money for the athletic department, have the coaches talk, kind of, you know, do the song and dance or whatever. And uh, uh, I got in, invited and was just hanging out, talking with some people and uh, walking in the room and there's somebody uh, there's live music on and I'm in the far corner. So I can't really see uh, who's playing or whatever. Um, but, you know, get my drink and I'm walking around and I turn around and this is at like, you know, a big event for, for boosters and rice fans and stuff. And I turn around and there's Marco and he's sitting there and he is the entertainment for the night. And I just turn and I talk to him. I'm like, what are you, Wait, what's going on? And he just kind of smiles, and I'm like, or "Did you just like, you know, walk over and pick up the guitar?" He's like, "No, I'm booked for the whole evening." And he was he played guitar for this, uh, you know, a night for all the big wigs. And I, I thought it was absolutely hilarious, and he was fantastic. He's so a shout out, Marco. Yeah, he's he's a really good dude. I so I wrote about him when he was the TikTok coach um, during the pandemic when he went, you know, all of a sudden went viral on TikTok, and then he got a job up here after, you know after coaching the RGV and it's, it's been awesome to see his career take off. Um, I'll give you a basic answer to your question though. Like I think Tulane was really fun to watch last year. And I really like Michael Pratt, just his ability to just kind of lead them. Um, I know Tajay Spears was fantastic and was obviously a game wrecker for him. But um, you know, I think if there's, a, I think we kind of sleep on Tulane repeating a little bit. And I, I think Michael Pratt's ability to, to kind of, you know, be mobile and stuff. And I think that he could kind of bring them back. If, if let's not forget about Michael Pratt and Tulane kind of. <laughs> hey, I, you are now the second person that has given us I, Jaquan Jackson was the, uh, the other name that, yeah. that got a shout out. 
the wide receiver. Yeah. But we have I a mean, lot of two-lane love. It, I think it's easy, especially, like I said, I'm predicting SMU to go to the title game, right? They don't play two-lane this year, but I think it's easy sometimes to be like, oh, hey, great story last year. That was awesome. Okay, we'll go back to the middle of the pack. <laughs> you know, so I think Tulane's got a team is a team that we need to obviously keep an eye on. All right, we'll bounce you back to SMU, and this one's tricky because again, we don't know. I don't know what a freshman or a rookie or how many years are left, but leave this kind of open ended. Uh, SMU uh, rookie of the year for twenty twenty three. So I easy answer for me actually. Uh, Alex Kilgore is a linebacker for them. Um, I, I mean, he's from, uh, the Houston area actually. And I think, uh, he got, he was an early enrollee and he's got the look, he's got the, he's got the ability. Um, he's a guy that was really recruited late by other schools. Um, some SEC schools actually, um, you know, and some other power five schools, but committed SMU really stayed committed. And he's a guy that really just flashed in, uh, in spring football. I think whether it's injury or he just plays into it. He's a guy that could get a lot of playing time at, at linebacker for SMU this year. Okay, flip the other side of the spectrum. Team MVP. Oof. Um, it's kind of tough. I, I think if SMU goes like I think they will be, I think it has to be quarterback. And I think it would have to be Preston Stone. Um, I think just the thing with SMU is on paper they're so loaded across the board in terms of depth and talent and wide receivers and running backs. And they've got a lot of weapons and it's kind of, Hey, who's going to make this thing go. Um, so I think, I think he's a guy that if SMU gets to where they're going to, it's going to, he's going to get a lot of credit. Um, but the, the sneaky one I think is actually going to be Jonathan McGill, the safety transfer from Stanford. He's a guy that stepped in day one and kind of was the team leader immediately. Everyone looked to him. He set the tone, um, he's so instinctive, you know, he, he might not be the biggest, fastest guy, but I think he's a guy that if SMU's defense takes that jump, kind of like you were alluding, alluding to Matthew, um, it's going to be in big part because of the secondary. And that's a big reason would be Jonathan McGill. I give you bonus points, unofficial scoring, but bonus points for that answer, because quarterback is the default that, uh, you know, uh, Mike Bloomgren always says he's the guy that gets too much credit and too much blame. For sure. If you go yeah. to where you want to go, the quarterback, he gets the credit, even if he wasn't even that that great. Uh, but I like the defensive shout out because, uh, you know, if you hit on the right transfer guy, like we were talking about, mm -hmm. good pick. All right. So you can't pick SMU. All right. Yeah. So I'm I'm removing your bias and uh, saving you from, <laughs> from maybe the fans if you choose differently. But uh, your pick to win the AC if it's not SMU. Um, I'm going to go with UTSA. Um, and I think, Ooh, uh, spicy. Yeah. I just, and you know, that maybe that changes, but I, I just, I don't, maybe it's the former Texas high school reporter in me, but I, I just have so much respect for what Jeff trailer's done. Um, and kind of what he's built there. And, you know, I mean, it, it's kind of like, like Zachary Franklin, for example, right. Was that UTSA? You guys know him. I mean, that's a guy who was, not recruited out of Cedar Hill. Next, you know, is the, you know, one of the most sought after players in the transfer portal ends up at Ole Miss, right? It's, it's, it's UTSA and Jeff Trailer's ability to just kind of get the most out of these guys, which I think makes them so tough to beat um, week in and week out. And I, I, I think it'll translate to the American. Obviously, Tulane's really good. 
um, with Michael Pratt back, like we alluded to, um, you know, and able to keep their coach from jumping to power five. Um, Memphis kind of just is in this weird, like, I think they should be better than they actually are every year kind of window, um, which I think might, they might do again. Um, so SMU excluded, I, I would go either Tulane or UTSA, but I'll lean towards UTSA here. And they just have more dudes like Zakari Franklin's gone, but they still have like so many different guys that can probably go for a thousand and ten. Yeah, if I'm definitely. Being honest. It's that, it's it's that ability to get the most out of players. And I think that they have it, you know. All right. So on the other end of the spectrum, uh, I guess you can pick SMU here if you want, but I don't think they qualify uh, surprise team in the AAC in twenty twenty three. You know, maybe this is me just kind of buying into hype. And I, you know, I obviously I didn't see them much last year, but Charlotte kind of intrigues me. And I know that's, I, I, I don't know. I, I like the coaching hire. I, I like some of the transfers that transfers they've gotten. I think that's a team that could kind of surprise. And that's more just like gut feeling versus like actual, you know, on field analysis. Um, but that, that's a team like if East Carolina did well, it wouldn't surprise me. Right. Um, you know, I, I, I think if if Memphis did well, it wouldn't surprise me. But like I said, I they've kind of undersold me a little bit the last couple of years. Um, so I, I'll go with Charlotte. That's a team that would really kind of really kind of blow my mind a little bit. But I think it's possible. See, that's interesting because there's an addendum to this question that we've been talking with folks. Of, can you name all 14 teams that are going to be in the AAC this year? <laughs> and uh <laughs> And Charlotte is just kind of the shoe in that that we've given folks because we assume they'll be the one that people forget. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I'm just ahead of the curve, you know. So yeah, <laughs> forward thinking, Joe. Yeah, exactly. I I love it. Well, shout out to uh, Charlotte. We'll get a hopefully we'll get them on soon. They can de- they can make their case. But uh, this has been fun, man. Tell us um, where we can follow you. What's going on in your world and the SMU world as you're busy, not busy before we get to, I mean, we're a couple weeks away from media days and then the grind picks up again. I know it's crazy. It feels like football season never stops. Um, but yeah, no, I, uh, you can follow me at Joe J Hoyt, H O Y T on Twitter. Um, and then, you know, I'm just writing here for the Dallas Morning news. So Google Joseph Hoyt Dallas Morning news and, you can find me or Google SMU Dallas more news and it's mostly my stuff. And, um, but yeah, no, that's where you can find me. I just want to thank you guys for having me on. Um, really, really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed talking with you guys and looking forward to this, uh, this coming football season for sure. Yeah. It's been a pleasure, man. Yeah. Thanks for hopping on with us. Uh, thanks as always to the listeners for sticking with us. We, uh, we're enjoying sort of uh, rebuilding and, and upgrading the, uh, the the pod network here, uh, the, the the pod pals, if you will. So uh, as we move forward into however long this particular iteration of this particular conference lasts. Um, but thanks again to Joe for hopping on with us. Uh, we'll be uh, back next week as we just continue to push through the the AAC opponents for 2023. Uh, But thanks for sticking with us, y'all, and Rice Fight. This show was edited and produced by Carter Spires. It features music from Joseph McDade.